Man, I want to honor two men before I get started. The first one is, is Pastor Rick. Um, I don't know if you guys know just how stinking good you've got it. Um, you know, there's, there's this thing that's happening in, in the nation right now that only about 1.8, so just, just we round up, let's say 2%. Only 2% of churches right now are growing in the United States of America. Only 2%. And this church is one of those churches. That is not common. Uh, Here's what I know. Most churches aren't growing because they're not speaking the truth and they're not permitting the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And here's what I know about this church, both of those things. This church will not stop speaking the truth. And this church, I know, you know how I know? Because I just experienced the Holy Spirit in worship. So because of that, this, that's why this church is growing. Your, your faith is contagious, more contagious than any virus. Your faith is contagious. So this church is growing because you're living your faith. And so I just want to say thank you, Pastor Rick. You are, my, you are my pastor. I call him pastor. He is a pastor's pastor. He's my mentor. He's, my, he's a leader. He's one of the leaders in my life. And he's my friend. Uh, my wife... Yeah, go ahead. Come on, let's give Pastor Rick a big hand. Jenny will look at me from time to time and say, I wish you talked to me as much as you talked to Pastor Rick. Uh, we, we talk every week without fail. We, we exchange notes. Listen, you know how this church is making a difference beyond the city of Claremore. I watch you guys' YouTube stream all the time. And I've loved this series. So, so I want to honor uh, Pastor Rick. And then my dad is in the room. Dad, would you stand up? My dad is in the room. I want to honor him. Thank you, Dad. My, my dad made room for me in ministry uh, when I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, but now I'm making room for other people who also don't know what they're doing. And so I'm grateful forever for him. There's the, there's, there's, in the last two years, we've had over 2,000 people commit their lives to Christ in Garden City, and I owe that to these two men, so I thank you both very, very much. Um, if, if you're new this week, I, I'm sorry. I promise it will be better next week. Um, so come back. Don't judge Cedar Point based off of me. It will get better. And you know how I know? Because I watch all the time. This series has been so good. I don't know. If, has, this, this, has this series impacted you in a powerful way? I love it. I, I've been watching I've been engaging with it. I've been taking notes. You know, if you missed it and this is your first time here, man, week one, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Rick preached and he talked about how um, this thing that we're doing, this life that we're living is a relay race. It's not just a marathon. It's not just a sprint. There are times when we speed up. There's times when we slow down, but we're called to run our race. But the most important thing that we can do is exchange the baton to the next generation. And if you want to know what matters to a church, Look how they spend their money. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what I love about this church is that they believe so much in the next generation that they're willing to invest their dollars, their hard-earned money into this place. You guys are a part of changing the next generation. In the the second week, Pastor Rick talked about how critical it is to bring kids to Jesus and the reward that comes with it because when you reach kids, you know what happens? You reach their families. And because of the model that I saw with Pastor Rick, we're doing some of the same things that you guys are doing. And because of the passion that we have for serving and loving and empowering the next generation, we have kids that are bringing their parents to church. 
not just parents that are bringing their kids to church. I don't know. Is there any, any parents who are like, my kids came before I did? Yeah. Like I see, I see that hand. I see that hand. That's my other gifting. So seeing that hand. So, and then last week, man, I thought Pastor Aaron crushed it when he, he talked about how, how um, if we don't tell our kids and someone else will, and that building a legacy requires a great sacrifice. It requires a great sacrifice. My mom would say it this way. She said, an inheritance is, is what you give to someone, but a legacy is what you leave in someone. And we want to be the type of people that leave a legacy. That the only thing that lasts, people will forget your name at work. They'll forget your name in a city. They'll forget, even if you have statues built in your name, they'll forget why they built them. But you know what will last is your kids and their kids and their kids. So reaching the next generation, empowering the next generation is mission critical. So a little bit about me. So just so you guys know, I, I was a coach before I was a pastor. So there may be some times in this message where it feels like we're down by 20 at halftime and you're like, man, chill out a little bit. It'll be okay. I, I just get a little bit passionate. I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart. I love seeing people come to Jesus. So there's going to be some times where I'm going to need you to like talk to me. Like we're going to have a conversation up here and it's okay to talk in church. You may have been raised in a church where you couldn't, you know, you just had to sit there still and be quiet. I, th that's not today. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it is at any time in this church. So like, feel free when, when we talk to have a conversation with me. And I, I, I want to show you a picture of my family. This is my crew. So I'm a father. I'm not just, I, I won a state championship as a head coach, then got into ministry full-time. These are, these are my why, my, my three boys, Jace, Jevin, and Jensen. Jace is 10. Jevin is 8. Jensen is 6, my beautiful wife, Jenny. And um, these poor people have to deal with me every day. You guys only have to deal with me for like 25 more minutes. But they, these poor people, you know, they deserve a lot because they have to deal with me all the time. And I'm a lot to handle. So I, I want to honor them. They're so good to me. Um, but Pastor Rick made this statement in week one. And it's something that really stuck with me as I listened to the other messages throughout this series. He said that the problem in America isn't government, but it's the failures of the church and the family. And so I want to I help you today. I want to help you today to understand some of the principles that we can use, not just as a church, but as a family to raise story changers, that this is a story changing church. And we want to help you raise story changing kids, kids that literally have the capacity, the ability that you would empower and enable and encourage them to not just be great people for themselves, but that they would be a part of changing other people's stories too. And here's some things that I know about kids. Every kid doesn't think the same, but they all have the ability to reason. That every kid doesn't feel the same, but they all want to be loved. That every kid doesn't enjoy life the same, but they all love to have fun. Every kid doesn't talk the same, but they all have something to say. And if you've got a kid under the age of six, you know they all have something to say. Every kid doesn't look the same. But you know what I've found about kids? They all like to be noticed. Every kid doesn't imagine the same, but every kid wants something to believe in. 
My sister Jocelyn made this statement one time, and it really has, has ingrained itself in my mind, and that is this. Every kid, every kid. Can you say that? Say every kid. Every kid. Yeah, every kid is one adult away from changing the world. Every kid is just one adult away from changing the world. That's why what you guys are going to do tonight with your next-gen rally is so important. That if you're like, man, I'm not serving anywhere. I'm not connected to the church besides just coming on a Sunday morning and sitting in my seat and going back home. One of the places that you can be the most effective is in children's ministry. You know the hardest part about children's ministry, though? You don't know if you did any good for two decades. So it's like, I got a lot of theories on raising kids, but you know what? Ask me in two decades. Because you don't know. The fruit of your labor is not obvious for years and years. But I can tell you this, Pastor Rick was my youth pastor. I came to faith inside of his youth group fully, not just my parents' faith, but my faith. It was my faith, and I came to it in his youth group, and here we are 20 years later, and I can tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it that it is one of the most impactful places you can serve in the entire church. And if you're like, man, I'm not serving anywhere, I can tell you, come tonight, see what they're doing, and watch, watch the kind of impact and change that you can make in a child's life just by saying the simple three-letter word, yes, yes. So there's, there's, there's a couple things that I want to walk you through. And, and empower you with. The first one's in Psalms 127.3 is that children are a gift. Can you say gift? Yes. <laughs> now you, you came to church this morning. So you probably know like that's more of a statement of faith for you today than it is a reality. Like you had to get little kids ready. If you got a baby, they may have had a blowout on the way to church today. You've already on, you're on outfit number two. You may be on outfit number three today. And you're like, I don't know if that's true for me right now. I don't know if I can say that with confidence that children are a gift. But say that, say children are a gift. Yeah, they're a gift from the world. You know what he says? He says, they are a reward. They are a reward from him. So we understand the power of kids. And here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt is that somebody's kids are going to change the world. Somebody's kids. Somebody's kids are going to become a teacher, a, a coach, a principal, a superintendent. Somebody's kids are going to be the mayor of Claremore one day. Somebody's kids are going to be uh, the, the, the governor, the president. Somebody's kids are going to be a nurse, a, a doctor. Somebody's kids are going to change the world. It might as well be the kids that are being raised in Cedar Point Church. That somebody's kids are going to do it. So let's put our kids in the best position possible to change the world. And to do that, I believe that there are three things. Can you say three things? There are three things that our kids must know if they're going to help God change other people's stories. And the first one is this, God made me. Say that strongly. Say, God made me. God made me. Yeah, now, now I, I don't know. I, I'm a believer in homework. I, I was a teacher and a coach before I was in ministry. And I believe that our, if our faith begins and ends on Sunday, we're probably doing it wrong. So I love giving homework to my church. And, and I, I, listen, you don't even know me. Why would you take me at my word? You don't know me. But here's what you should do is you should take him at his word. 
And so I've given you a couple scriptures there. My encouragement, my challenge. Listen, I triple dog dare you to read. Yeah, yeah. Live up to that one. Read these scriptures. And don't just read the verses. Read the verses around them. Genesis 1.27, Colossians 1.16, Psalms 139.13. That God, he didn't just make you, but he says that he formed you intricately and perfectly. He made you in your mother's womb. That God made you. If, if our kids are going to be empowered and live fully in the purposes and, 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 and be partnered with God to change other people's stories, they have to know that God made them. The second thing they got to know is that God doesn't make mistakes. Can you say that strongly? Say, God doesn't make mistakes. mistakes. Well, how do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Psalms 18.30, Numbers 23.19, Matthew 5.48. Man, read these verses this week. You know what it'll tell you? Is that God is perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He's never failed. God made me. God doesn't make mistakes. And the last thing that our kids need to own and know if they're going to change the world is this. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11, Romans 8, 28, Proverbs 16, 4. It's so clear when you, when you read them and see that it's not just that God has a purpose. It says that he, he, he does nothing without a purpose and on purpose. So if our kids are going to change the world, they got to know that God made them, that he doesn't make mistakes, and then say this with me. Say, God has a purpose, has a purpose. And, a and a plan for my life. Bye. Now, again, I'm raising three littles. I don't have a teenager yet. So I get a lot of questions like nonstop. We get so, I, I was asked, we, we played golf yesterday. And, and that, I use that term loosely. You know what we did yesterday, Pastor Rick? We stunk at golf yesterday. That would be a more accurate description of what we did yesterday. And my, my two older children, Jason, Jevin, came with us. And I had to look at Jevin and say, dude, I need you to shut up. Because he kept talking in everybody's backswing. And I said, here's the rules. You cannot say anything unless I am in the cart and you are in the cart and it is moving. That's the rules. And that was on about hole 13. And for the first 13 holes, I'm like, Lord, why did I bring these kids with me to this? I'm suffering enough at being bad at golf. My kids ask a ton of questions. And one of their favorite questions is why? Yeah, why? But why? So let me ask that question to you because I know you're probably thinking, okay, why? Why is it critical for our kids to understand that God made them? Let me tell you why. Because when our kids grow up knowing that they are made by God, they will grow up wanting to know the God who made them. They'll want to grow up knowing the God who made them. I I believe this fully, that there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, immutable, ever-present God who created a universe so vast that even with all of our technology, they still can't measure how big it really is. All they know is it's as far as they can see. That's how big our God is. 
He's so big that like I'm holding this pen right now, he holds all of space and matter and time in his hands. That time, we live in time, right? We, we're looking, we, have, we carry around watches and phones that tell us the time, but God doesn't live inside of time. He's, he's ever present. He's as much as in the, in the past as he is in the future. He, he exists everywhere and he holds it in his hand like I'm holding this pen. And he sees the beginning and the middle where we are and the end and he knows all things. And then when we understand how big and how vast and how uh, unmeasurable our God is, then I also need to understand that there is a higher power that I will be held to account by. For the unbeliever, they'll be held to account on whether or not they say yes to Jesus and commit their life to him, not just as Savior, but as Lord. And if they submit to him and say, Lord, have your way in my heart, in my mind, and in my life. If they don't make that decision, they will be held to account for that decision that they made for themselves for all of eternity. And for the believer, we will be held to account, and God will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we will be rewarded for everything that we do for him, in him, and through him. That there is a, a higher power, an all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful God that we will be held to account by. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says that God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, every good and evil thing. That he is the source of right and wrong. He doesn't just know what's good, he is good. That there is no good outside of him. The only way that we can be good is in him. And I will answer for what I do in this life. I will, I will have to look this all-powerful God in the eyeballs and preach what I did. And he will, he will reward me as a believer for the things that I did in him and through him. So as a parent and as a leader inside of the church, it is mission critical Mission critical to help our kids to honor and obey so that they live a long life on the earth. God says it's a commandment that comes with a promise that if you honor and obey your parents, he says you will live a long life on the earth. It's mission, say, say that, say mission critical. mission critical. I heard it said, and, and I believe it, that discipline is the gift that a leader gives themselves. Discipline is the gift that a leader gives themselves. And if that's true, and, and I believe that it is, then I would say that discipline is the gift that a leader gives to their children too. That discipline is, is one of the most essential qualities that we can carry with us in this life. Wayne Cordero says it this way, that there are two pains in life, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And then he says, you choose. You choose. Proverbs 29, 15 says, to discipline a child produces wisdom. Say wisdom. So here's what I know. If all those things being true, and I believe that God's word is true, then, then here's what I, I know. That when we permit disobedience, we are promoting our children's early destruction. When we permit disobedience, we are promoting our children's early destruction. And I think this may be a word, I'm a millennial, and my generation, as I watch us parent, and I'm a people watcher, as I watch us parent, what I see is a generation that can be absent at times, 
that can give directives and then tuck in behind their screen and could care less on whether or not their child obeys their voice. Sweetheart, don't touch that. Then they touch it, but they didn't even know that they touched it. They never saw. Sweetheart, don't do that. And then they don't care on whether or not their child listens and obeys. And when we permit disobedience, we're promoting their early destruction. But when they obey our still small voice, they'll obey his. They'll obey his. Can I, can I give you a word of advice from somebody who's, who's messed up a lot? Why do you think your kids throw temper tantrums when you have modeled for them that the only way that you can get them to obey is by you throwing a temper tantrum? So when they want you to obey, they do it too. See, I want my kids to obey my still, small voice so that when God speaks into their heart, because here's what I know. If the only thing that can get them to respond is anger and flipping tables and screaming and yelling and destruction, then the only thing that will get them to respond to the voice of the Lord is anger and flipping tables and destruction. And I don't know about you, but that's not the life I want for my kids. I want them to respond to that still small voice and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. So you're like, okay, I get it. It's critical. I get it. I agree. It's critical for our kids to know that God made them. But why? Why is it critical for our kids to understand that God doesn't make mistakes? Well, I, I, if you listen to the culture for very long, you'll hear this phrase come around a lot. Well, God made me this way. See, they, they understand the first part, but they have twisted the second. Now, see, God doesn't make mistakes. And you say, yeah, but, but what about sin? Didn't God make sin? No. No, no, no. See, if God made sin, then sin is inescapable. Sin is unstoppable. And if temptation comes from God, then there's no way to overcome it. And yet Jesus said very clearly, he says, take heart for I have overcome the world. He said, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So if God made sin, I can't stop it but we know that he didn't. And you know why? Because I love science. See, you give science enough time, they'll come to conclusions that we've known as the body of Christ for thousands of years. They, they used to try and prove that darkness was a thing, like it was its own thing, that darkness had its own form, it was its own thing. And so they tried and tried and they tested and they retested and they hypothesized and then they retested and they found that darkness is not a thing. Darkness is just the absence of light. And, and because I know that, you see, this place was lit up until they turned off the lights. But when they turned the lights back on, 
the darkness is gone. You see, darkness is not a thing. It's just the absence of light. And we sang it. I sing it to the darkness that the light has come. The darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of light. So you know what that tells me too? Is that sin is not a thing. It's just the absence of God. And anywhere God is not, sin abounds. And you may be thinking, man, why? Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep doing these dumb things? Why do I keep making these same mistakes over and over and over again? It's because you haven't, got, you haven't invited God into that space and into that place of your life. You've not invited God to come because our fight is not against sin. He says, no, I've already beaten sin. Jesus defeated. He said, I took back the keys to hell, death, and the grave. Sin has been defeated. So our fight is not against sin. It's for God. And if I'll get filled to overflowing with the power of the Most High God, the Holy Spirit, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And if you'll get filled up to overflowing with the power of the Most High God, His Holy Spirit, then guess what? You will defeat sin because you're full of him. That's the way it works. He made promises to us. He, he literally prophesied in Ezekiel 36. He says this. He says, I'll give you a new heart. Say new heart. He says, I'll give you a new spirit. Say new spirit. I'll take out your old stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, now we're not into behavior modification. We're into death, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live he says, I want to put my spirit in you. And when my spirit is overflowing in your life, he says, then you'll follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You say, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. God doesn't make mistakes. He, he, he didn't put any sin in us. The only sin that abounds in our life is in the places that we haven't invited God into. So we know that God made us and that he doesn't make mistakes. But why then is it critical? Why? Is it critical for our kids to understand that God is so loving and so encouraging to us that we have a purpose and a destiny that must be manifest in our life? Why? Why is it critical for us to understand that he has a purpose and a plan, a destiny that must be? Because here's the beautiful thing about God. He'll place anointings and giftings and callings and talent in you. And then he says, you choose. He says, I've placed the choices before you. Death and life, choose life. He says, I, I want you to make the decision for yourself to say yes when I call. To say yes when I give you the option, don't say no, say yes. And I believe it's critical so that our children walk in the world knowing that they are necessary in heaven's economy to bring people to Jesus. They are necessary in heaven's economy to bring people to Jesus. A couple years ago, my oldest son, Jace, who's now 10, I think he was probably uh, seven at the time. It was about three years ago. 
we tucking them in. I'm, I, you know, I, I try and be a part of that routine. Jenny does a lot better at it than I do. But I'm in, I'm in his bed. I'm tucking him in and kissing him goodnight. And, and these big old crocodile tears just start rolling down his face. I'm like, buddy, what's wrong? And he, he said, I just wonder, when will Jevin commit his life to Jesus? I'm like, well, buddy, he's five. So he's got, he's got some time in theory. But he was so concerned about his brother's salvation. And it blessed me. And then uh, about a year later, I come home. We have Sunday night church. And I come home from Sunday night church. And everybody's sitting in the living room. And I'm like, is this an intervention? Did I do something wrong? <laughs> but our whole crew is in there. And Jenny's got this like, you know, joker grin on her face. And she's like, Jevin, tell dad what you told me on the way home. And he looks and he says, Dad, I'm ready to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And it blessed me. And I looked over at Jace and he's weeping. And I thought at that moment, man, I may not be doing everything right, but doggone it, I'm doing something right. Because we want our kids to have a burden. The beauty of purpose is our purpose is like like our fingerprint or like a strand of DNA. Your purpose and my purpose, our, our fingerprints are very unique, one of a kind. But there is a uniting purpose that unites every person who's ever existed. We were created to worship God and to bring as many people as possible to Jesus in our lifetime. I don't care if you're tall, short, black, brown, yellow, translucent like I am. I don't care if you came from an atheistic background, a conservative background, a liberal background. I don't care where you came from. I know this. Every person who's ever lived was made to worship God and to bring as many people to Jesus as possible. That is the purpose that everyone was created for. And God has a purpose and a plan for their life. My, My parents coined a phrase in the 80s. They wrote a book about raising kids And they called it triple-A treatment, triple-A treatment. And I believe personally, because I've seen it in my life, the fruit of this this practice, but I know that I've seen it enacted inside of the setting of the church, and I've seen it change kids' destiny forever. And I believe that triple-A treatment enables and empowers kids to accomplish everything that God made them for, their their God-ordained purpose. You say, okay, well, what is AAA treatment? Well, the first day is this, affection. Can you say that? Say affection. Here's the thing about affection. It's a guarantee. Affection is a guarantee. Nothing will stop me from loving my child deeply, and no mistake they make will unmake them my child. Uh, Well, the first mistake I see a lot of parents make is when their kids make these big mistakes, right? We we know a five-year-old is going to make five-year-old mistakes. We know that, right? The problem seems when I see it is that when a 25-year-old makes 25-year-old mistakes is that when that 25, we didn't, I didn't withhold my affection from my five-year-old when they made a five-year-old mistake. So why would I withhold my affection from a 25-year-old when they make a 25-year-old mistake? Now, we need to be worried when a 25-year-old is making five-year-old mistakes, right? If your 25-year-old is still peeing the bed, we need to have a conversation, around that 
But when a 25-year-old is making 25-year-old mistakes, that is just called living. And my affection for my children is a guarantee. Nothing will stop me. And no mistake that they make will unmake them my child. But here's the second mistake I see a lot of parents make is in acceptance. That acceptance is conditional. Acceptance is conditional. That every believer must learn to balance compassion and compromise. That my acceptance extends to where compromise begins. I will not enable or promote sin. What does that mean? My acceptance of them and their lifestyle and their choices walks right up to the line of what the Bible says is right and wrong. The other issue that I see with parents of, uh, that are believers, or at least confess that they're believers, is that when their child chooses an alternative lifestyle, they'll say, well, guess I don't believe that anymore. I'm called to accept everything that my child does, or I don't love them. No, 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 no. See, you're conflating two very different things. You're conflating affection and acceptance. I can love my child deeply, fully, and completely and not be approving of the lifestyle choices that they are making right now. See, affection is a guarantee, but my acceptance of their lifestyle is conditional. On what? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E. So that's the second A. And I think the trick in this is that we have to be merciful, right? Because we're all sinners falling short of the glory of God, every one of us. So we have to be merciful with the person, but merciless with the spirit that is operating behind their sin. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and darkness. And when we understand that this is not a personal problem, this is a spiritual problem, then it changes the way that we act and move and live and breathe, not just inside of our families, but inside of the world. So say affection, acceptance. Now the third one is approval. Say approval. What you permit, you promote. Whatever's praised will get repeated, and whatever gets repeated praise will be cemented. I, I want two more minutes, and I want to close out with this. Here's what I've found as a parent, and here's what I've found in ministry. My no is important, but it pales in comparison to my yes. My no has value. It's critical. I've got to help my kids to obey. I've got to look at them at times and say, don't do that. Please stop right now. I, I have to use those words. But here's what I know. My yes, I'll, I'll put a value on it 10 times. My yes is 10 times more powerful than my no will ever be. I want to be as loud and emphatic and excited about when they do the right thing as I am frustrated, mad, and angry when they do the wrong thing. In fact, I want to be more excited, more passionate, more praising than I am when I have to discipline. And what I've found is that my yes carries at least a 10 times more weight. What does this look like in real life? I, I don't know. Judge me, okay? I may be doing it completely wrong. Ask me in 20 years, and I'll tell you if it was good. But I know this right now, we give, we give praises and raises that we, we are, we're a wrestling family. I love wrestling. I believe that it's one of the greatest sports that God ever made on the face of the earth. And one of the ways we get our kids to do things that they're not good at yet is I pay them. When they're in competitions, because you know what? Who cares? You know what they don't do? Nobody remembers who won at 10 years old a state championship. You know what they do remember? Who won at 18 years old. 
So I, when, I, when they're working on a new move, you know what we do? When they try it in a meet, I pay them even if they fail. And you know what? Especially when they fail. I, I give them every time they get a takedown, boom, that's a dollar. Every time they try a move that they fail at that they've been working on in practice, $5. You know what that tells them? I can score and get one point or I can go for something I'm not good at yet and get paid five times more. And you know what's cool? They begin to master those things that will not make them great at 10, although they're very good at wrestling. It will make them good at 18. It will make them mentally tough to say, it's okay to fail as long as I try again. See, my yes carries 10 times more weight than my no ever could. So it's critical for our kids to understand God made me. God doesn't make mistakes. And he has a purpose and a plan for my life. Will you bow your heads and can I pray over you real fast? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the parents in this room, the leaders of the next generation in this room, the teachers, the coaches, the volunteers, Lord, that they are called and equipped. They've got everything that they need right now because they've got you to do everything that you've called them to do. Lord, you don't call the equipped, but you do equip the called. And so I thank you right now for a supernatural equipping that's taking place right now in every parent, in every, uh, every husband, every wife, every mother, every father, every leader, Lord Jesus. Right now, you're giving them the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding to do everything that you've called them to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.